Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. This week I chatted with Kira McGran about her game Something is Wrong Here. It's an original system, but the whole experience is based on a selection of her favorite David Lynch works. We talk a lot about how you build a game when the inspiration is a specific artist versus an entire genre. We also look at focusing on one session of play versus longer games, and how Kira builds in Bleed as part of the intended experience. Let's get to the show. All right, heroes. So this week I am joined by Kira McGran, and we are going to talk about her game Something is Wrong Here. Hello, Kira. Hi. Hey, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you want to take a minute to introduce yourself a little bit, some other projects you've worked on or places that folks might know you from? Oh, sure. I am a queer, cyborg, non-binary game designer. I live in Columbus, Ohio, um, okay. and I've worked on a lot of things. <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly prolific yeah? now. Yeah, I, I, my own stuff, uh, I'm just starting to build uh, you know, my own games. So like earlier this year, I put out a game called A Cozy Den, um, mm-hmm. which is about lesbian snakes uh, during the <laughs> winter. <laughs> yep. I, I scrolled through the Kickstarter and I was like, She's, this sounds really familiar. Who is she? Oh, lesbian snakes. Okay. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm the lesbian snake person, I guess. That's me. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, and so that was like my first full game I put out all on my own. But before that, I have mm-hmm. also, I've just done... A lot of um, freelance work with like The Sprawl and Unknown Armies and Blue Rose and var- mm. various games, Monster Hearts, various games that I kind of built scenarios or um, other tools for. So I've done a lot yeah. of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So, so Lesbian Snakes, that was your first solo game? Like just. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Well, well oh, I cool. guess. I, so I had put out other games that were part of anthologies, right? Um, mm, okay. So I've made one called uh, Mobilize, which is about uh, queer women in World War II working in uh, mobile car pools. Um, oh. So like fixing cars and being mechanics and stuff. And then I had also put out a game called Selfie, which is like a short LARP that's part of the feminism anthology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so those are like technically, I guess, standalone games as part of a bigger thing. Yeah. But this was my first game that I like designed, developed, wrote, like laid out the book <laughs> and like cool. published all on my own, you know, like it was basically just me and my thing. So it, it felt like a landmark and it kind of changed how I felt about making games, I guess. Yeah. Did you, I, I've talked to people before about like when they feel like they're a game designer. Is that yeah. kind of like the moment? <laughs> or yeah. did you, did you feel, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 totally. It's it's so weird, right? Like, what makes you feel legitimately mm-hmm. an artist or legitimately a maker of things yeah. or a game designer? And I think I think because you because you've done so much before that, that's like definitely game design work. Yeah. <laughs> so like so, something about putting out, yeah, something that's like all yours is like I did it. I made the thing. Yeah, yeah. It felt for me. I think I 
everybody has different metrics for what makes them feel legit, you know? (laughs) And and for me, yeah, I mean, so some people want, you know, a certain amount of people to have played their game or they want to sell something or they want to self-publish or they want a big company to buy their game, you know? Like there's like Mm -hmm. all these different metrics I feel like for what makes you feel like a successful creator. And Mm -hmm. yeah, for me, I think making a cozy den, like... I have a Patreon. The Patreon supports me while I'm developing these ideas and I share like early drafts mm-hmm. with my patrons. And then I kind of built it and I'm like, I'm just, I'm going to publish it. I'm going to do it. And then once I did that, I was like, it's a thing. It's like an actual thing I yeah. made. And like coming yeah. from like a visual arts background, I think just having like that physical artifact resonated with me. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're working on another one that is completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have <laughs> so, like, I have varied interests. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this one, something is wrong here is, um, tell us about what it, it, that is. <laughs> What's the, the elevator pitch for this one? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's a weird game. Um, it is. Uh, it's a dark and uncanny game uh, based on like the surreal worlds of David Lynch movies mm-hmm. and TV shows. So it's it's kind of based around like surrealist ideas and uh, you know meta concepts of narrative and like all that you know kind of like artsy crap that David Lynch does in his work mm-hmm. that I love yep. that I really love. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, I feel like people, it, it's, it's, um, it's something that a lot of people e- either really love or really don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's very interesting to me. Like it, it gets a strong feeling either way. Yeah. Like there's, there's never any like, oh, it's fine. Like that's, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely like that. It's, it, I think David Lynch is very polarizing in his work and mm-hmm. I, I tend to be that way too. I work a lot. Um, <laughs> I work with a lot of the same concepts that he does. And I, I, I look up to him as, as a creator, even though, you know, he's got some problematic ideas about gender and race. (laughs) He he also is like, you know, believes in meditation to help with depression in artists. And he, um, you know, had one of the first trans characters on TV, you know, David Duchovny played a trans Mm -hmm. woman, which is not a trans woman playing a trans woman, but at least it was something in the nineties. And right. Uh, you know, kind of like these progressive ideas um, and weird subconscious ideas that I that really resonate with me. Yeah. What encouraged you or got you started thinking about making a game about that? Totally. <laughs> so, because it's a weird thing, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like it's it, it seems like a really good thing that you can like experience. Like he makes movies, he makes TV. Like you can consume it, but like, yeah, how do you immerse yourselves in it and create it and have it be a game? Yeah, it's so different. Yeah, um, I really like thinking about game structure. So, like uh, for me, like I got into game design kind of through small press and indie game design communities, like the Forge and Story Games, um, and stuff kind of like talking about the design and the structure of the game itself. And I was watching Twin Peaks The Return last year that came back, you know, David Mm. Lynch's TV show. And Mm. I was obsessed with it. It was really, it was really good. It took up like 18 weeks of my life. Like it, it's amazing TV. And I love watching TV and movies for inspiration. 
Um, and so I think I was just like keyed into a lot of those things. And I was like, well, wouldn't it be cool if I could like make an, an interactive experience that felt like this, you know, mm. like what if I could take like the feelings that watching these movies make me have and translate that into an experience you could have playing a game. And so that's kind yeah. of where the idea came from because people have made like Twin Peaks games before, you know, <laughs> and sure. there's, there's a few, I think one came out a couple of years ago, even called Twin Pines <laughs> and they tend to be, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they tend to be more like, um, X-Files-y, you know, they're more like kind of like mm. supernatural FBI investigators in a small American yeah. town <laughs> type of thing. And while I love that, I kind of wanted to get the other stuff, like the horror and the, the personal yeah. uh, surreal dreamy feels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, there's, there's so many layers to, to all, you know, Twin Peaks and all of that. It's so I guess going about like capturing that into a game, were there any games that you used as inspiration or thought were like kind of getting where you wanted to go? Or did you know pretty early that you needed to build something? Oh yeah. I mean, I always use other games as inspiration for sure. I think having a good mm -hmm. idea of what your art is going to build on makes your art better. Like doing kind of research, you know, to see like, oh, what other games are doing stuff like, like I want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think two of my biggest inspirations, maybe, maybe three, I'm, I'm really into like card based things recently. Um, and that's partially oh, okay. like, uh, Jason Morningstar's fault because he's designed a lot of games <laughs> based around cards. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and I've played a lot of them. I think it just like seeped into my subconscious. And, uh, mm -hmm. so Juggernaut is like a, a, a card based game. Um, that's like a, a one shot scenario that has similar, th it has like role playing cues on the cards. And so that, that was definitely oh, cool. an inspiration because something is wrong here has that too. And then also this game by, um, Brody Atwater called Here is My Power Button which is a very mm. immersive emotional LARP. Um, like everyone who plays this game cries at the end. <laughs> and yeah. And I was like, how, how is that happening? Like, how are you making people cry? Like regularly, <laughs> like what is the, reli yeah. the reliable mechanic there? And so I kind of like dug into that a little, cause I wanted to evoke emotional feelings in this game as well. It's like a, an emotional yeah. mechanic basically. Oh, that's, that's excellent. How do you make people cry? <laughs> um, well, mostly Death Cab for Cutie songs, it turns out. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> no, for it. Mm, that'll do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sad music. But but for real, like a huge um, factor in media, like if you're watching a movie, the soundtrack suddenly picks up at the sad moment, you know, and it's playing the right mm -hmm. song. It like manipulates you into feeling things. Um, so, yeah. So music is actually a kind of a big deal. Um, in uh, games that I've played that have affected me emotionally and in something is wrong here, I use it in something is wrong here as well. So do you, do you like have music that you suggest people use or that you package with? the game or, or how does how does that work? Oh yeah. So I, I didn't have like a soundtrack made. <laughs> I actually yeah, yeah. I don't know how one would go about doing that. I mean probably just find some music makers. I don't I don't know any music people yeah. really. Uh, and yeah, me neither. Yeah, yeah. I, I know it's, it's a mystery. It's such a yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's people that do this. I should probably mm -hmm. maybe in the future I could look into that. But I just kind of curated a soundtrack for it based on some music that I felt evoked the kind of emotions I was going for. Um, and lots of 
Uh, I've played some tabletop games like this, but lots of LARPs do this really effectively that I've played. They have like these musical interludes that make you feel things. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and so I have like, like on the soundtrack of like Portis Head and Nine Inch Nails and um, Sifton Stevens. <laughs> Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Derek Moody, like, and it's funny because David Lynch does that in his stuff too. Like, like at least 50% of anything he makes is like the soundtrack. Like, and he does all his own soundscapes yeah. and, uh, you know, in Twin Peaks, their turn last oh, wow. year, he had, you know, musical guests every episode at the end of the episode, they'd be playing at the roadhouse. And so uh. music is such a big part of, and it's a big part of like, my enjoyment of a thing too. Like, I think, <laughs> I think 50% of what I enjoy is like the music. Like if the soundtrack is good, I'm going to like it. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause I, as I was reading through, there was, you know, the different cues you've got in the, the summaries of the game. It's like, this happens in disturbing music plays. And I'm just like, I don't, well, will she tell me what that is? I don't know if I know what, what counts as disturbing music. I can't, what, <laughs> what do I do? So yeah, just, thank you. Just, just nine nails and stuff, Jen Stevens, you know? Okay. <laughs> Okay, cool. I want to make sure I wasn't missing anything. <laughs> so I want to back up just a little. So I've we've talked to different people before about um, making specific genre games. You know, how do you make a noir game? How do you make a cyberpunk game? How do you make a game based off a specific artist, like their pool of work? Like, do you do you boil that down to like the essentials of of a David Lynch production to you? And and if so, like, what is that? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. Um, cause I think that, I think genre, it's, it's just very similar. Cause like I, I do a lot of genre work too. Like I love cyberpunk and, uh, like sci-fi genre things and horror genre things. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, a lot of David Lynch gigs are just like a mashup of like three or four genres. And so, mm, um, okay. so you kind of just, so, so that's one way to look at it, you know, just like take, take two or three things and put them together, which is kind of like my design philosophy anyway. Like, <laughs> uh, basically take three things I like and put them into a thing and boom, it's a game. Mm. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. 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 So, so, so when it came to doing this, um, it felt kind of heavy cause I really, I have like a deep admiration for his body of work. And so I was, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to give it like, I wanted to make it feel like, like it makes me feel, which was a hard thing to pin down. So I kind of like mm-hmm. deconstructed it and looked at all the moving parts and tried to figure out like what makes a quintessential David Lynch thing. Okay. Now what makes my favorite David Lynch things? Okay. Now, how can I make this a little bit less problematic? And then how can I um, design towards the type of feelings I want to do? And part of that was just like mm-hmm. analyzing the work I lo- I liked best that I wanted the game to be about. And that was um, mm-hmm. Mulholland Drive, Blue Velvet, and Twin Peaks, um, which are specific mm-hmm. David Lynch things. Like they're not like a racer head yeah. or like the other thing, like lost highway. <laughs> they're like, they're pretty specifically about certain themes mm-hmm. and so deconstructing those. And then also, um, I, I was watching like a lot of videos of his process. Like there's these video interviews of him mm. on YouTube where he talks about his creative process and how he makes things. And a lot of it is actually just meditation. <laughs> Oh, cool. Like, he's just like one of those people, one of those artists, 
he's like a surrealist artist. He's just like, I'm just pulling shit from my subconscious. And, you know, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, I just focus on what's in my head and it doesn't have to have any more significance than that. Or if it does, it's up, it's up to you to decipher it. And so I, I started doing that a little bit too, like trying to pull things from my subconscious in the same way that he would in order to make his things. And it was, it, it was really relevatory. Like, I, it, like it brought out kind of the stuff that scared me the most in his work. And that was uh-huh. also personally scary mm-hmm. to me. And then I kind of just like pushed them okay. together and that made the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> and it's funny. Cause it's not, it's not like super scary. Like it's, it's unsettling. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, yeah. like the stuff, the stuff that, that it's, it's just unsettling. It's like this creeping dread feeling like, like, uh, you know, the stuff I'm, I'm scared of that shows up in his work. It's like, like, like waking up at night and like, when you're not sure if you're looking at, you know, if you're still in the dream or if you're looking at your wall type of thing, you know, yeah, like this kind of like sense of, am I in reality right now? Like that freaks me out. And like, uh, mm. the, like doppelgangers, the idea that mm-hmm. it, you know, if there's anything in a horror movie that like looks human or acts human, it like freaks me out like dolls and like, uh, you know, yep. automatons and thing, things like that, that like seem like they could be you, but it's not really you. It's like your, your dark self or like something about you that you, you can't quite come to terms with. Like that freaks me out too. So. Oh man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Huh. And, and are those all the sorts of things that you want players to experience with this game? Like the, the unsettling, the definitely crying at some point. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, well, my game isn't uh, emotionally manipulative towards the crying as much. Okay. It's more, okay. it's more. How, how are you emotionally manipulating your players then? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's more to think about, um, dark, kind of dark, unresolved things inside of yourself. Like, mm. what are you, what are you afraid of? Or what, what's something inside of you that doesn't sit quite right, you know? And can, can you accept that? And can you forgive yourself? And can you like work with, work with your friends? basically to help to help support mm. each other through those things. So so that's kind of like that's kind of what it's about. Like like what is your what is your dark weakness and can you can you deal with that? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um so then mechanically like the ways that you are going about evoking these things. Uh, we talked a little bit you're it's card based, mm-hmm. right? Like the whole the whole game is card based. Yeah. So I guess let's start. Uh, I'm curious as to what the characters, like what the the archetypes are that you've got for people to inhabit. <laughs> oh yeah. So um, so the character archetypes are kind of like combinations of, of David Lynch characters that I liked the most. And mm-hmm. so so um, so there's like the optimistic optimistic innocent, and the sensitive observer, mm-hmm. and the jaded creative, the troubled romantic the analytical pessimist and the eccentric socializer. And so those are kind Mm -hmm. of like character archetypes that you can then kind of tweak by adding on to like their history. Um, Like you can kind of personalize Mm -hmm. it. So like, so like for the sensitive observer, it's kind of like you're sensitive and you have strange prophetic dreams and because of the sensitivity, mm-hmm. you can see things other people don't. There's something dark in your past that still haunts you. And so, so then 
it's upon the player to answer what the dark thing in the past is that makes you feel guilty, mm. right? What is haunting you? So, okay. and then, um, to kind of create a, a relationship with the other characters by having someone fulfill their, your need. And like this character's need is to find forgiveness for your guilt. And so, so it kind of like, kind of like in a subconscious level allows a player to insert something that they want to play like into whatever is still haunting that character, you know, and that, that tends to make it a little bit more personal. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. That's definitely a a very personal thing to put out there. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's cool though. So it's, it's, you've got six archetypes um, and there is a facilitator for like, this isn't a GMless game. Yeah. Yeah. There's a facilitator for this. Um, And I I went back and forth on that because I tend to prefer GMless games actually. Uh, mm-hmm. like a cozy den is GMless. And I like kind of removing, basically removing the traditional authority from a role playing game. Like, you know, the, the mm-hmm. authority being the GM. Um, so yeah. like if you can like remove that person, I think people play differently. You, you have, you kind of moderate your own authority amongst each other. <laughs> like if, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. But in this, it's purposeful <laughs> that there's kind of, there is an authority, um, and they're kind of like the director, oh, okay. kind of like the the David Lynch of the scenario. So the facilitator kind of manages the timing of the game and the pacing, which is super mm-hmm. important in horror. You know, you want to have the pacing just right to create the right amount of anxiety, and um, yeah. they also control like how long scenes are, where the scenes take place. And they have kind of some creative options as to how to pick those. Like it's not, it's not dictated like, okay, the first scene has to take place, uh, you know, in the forest, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, your friend who just died or whatever. They can kind of mix and match all the options that I've provided. And so it, that makes it kind of fun for the GM as well. Yeah. And so what, what are the, like, what are the other cards? What are the um, bits that you have provided for the facilitator? Uh, yeah. So, so the, I, I won't share this. There's some spoilers for the facilitator. I won't share the spoilers. Oh, okay. but no, that's, that's fair. I'll try, I'll try to talk around them. <laughs> Cause I think yeah. it's kind of fun to go in. I mean, spoilers to me don't matter too much. To yeah. be honest, it's not what happens, but how it happens. Right. But, uh, right. I think that. I think it's more fun if you have some spoilers in this game. So, um, oh, yeah. so basically the facilitator, um, chooses the setting, uh, for each scene mm-hmm. in act one, they choose the scenario and they kind of dictate the time. And so, so the, facilit- so the different settings are, are things, they're things like the roadhouse or a living room or, um, a car, uh, or a trailer park. Uh, or a waiting room. So these are kind of like the settings, like where the scenes will take place with the characters. And then okay. the, they will also pick the scenario. So the, the scenario is kind of like the conversation the characters are having in that scene. And then those are things like um, catching up over coffee or gossiping about uh, the bad luck of a mutual acquaintance named Billy <laughs> or, um, you know, grabbing breakfast before work, uh, trying to get some illicit drugs. So this kind of sets up, like, what the characters will be doing in that scene. And then the characters in those scenes have control over the emotions they're going to be portraying in that scene. And there's another list of emotions that once once the players have decided Mm -hmm. 
um, who's going to be in that scene, they then choose an emotion to portray. And so they could choose um, something like, like true friendship or a sense of profound loss or the feeling that you've done something terrible. So all these are kind of like mm-hmm. scene setting tools that um, help kind mm-hmm. of like the facilitator and the players figure out what's going to happen in each scene. Mm, excellent. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what I was curious about. How much, uh, like support the facilitator has so that they're, it's not just like, congrats, you're the director. <laughs> Figure out what that Now means. come up with everything. <laughs> no, yeah. that's actually one of my, come on, write a movie. Yeah. No, that's actually one of my biggest pet peeves with games. Cause I've run so many games mm-hmm. and like, I'm so like, I will run a game more often and love it more if like the GM actually has good tools to use. Like if I don't have to do like a yeah. ton of like creative or um, like pregame work, you know, I like to kind of like yes. come to the game Absolutely. and just like, I have no time. Cause I, you know, I'm an adult with a, a busy schedule uh-huh. and okay, here's all these tools that tell me exactly what to do to create this game. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hard agree. <laughs> So, so I guess I try to design towards that because that's what I, that's what I like. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then I'm curious your thoughts on people playing this game again. Like what's replayability like? Because there's so much that is shrouded in mystery, but there's so much that can change, it sounds like too. Yeah, it can definitely change. I haven't had uh, any playtesting group play it more than once yet. So I don't know what will mm-hmm. actually happen. Um, <laughs> but my guess, it, yeah. my guess is that it would be totally fine to replay. Uh, I think that the intention behind my design is that it's more of a one time experience, mm-hmm. but if you played with different people or different people play different characters or a, you know, a facilitator chose different settings, you know, like there's a lot of things that yeah. could be remixed for a different experience, especially since all the characters have Mm -hmm. specific kinds of goals and feelings and histories attached to them. Like you could play one of them really Mm -hmm. hard and then be like, I want to choose this other one and and have a different experience with these emotions and this history, you know, like maybe instead Mm of uh, something dark from my past that's haunting me, like literally, uh, I would want to play, mm-hmm. uh, you know, someone who couldn't finish making, uh, writing a book, you know, like, I think that those things do make it a little replayable, although it's not, it's not really like a, it's not like an ongoing campaign type of game. Right. As, yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, if anybody plays it twice, let me know. <laughs> I would love to hear. Sure. And then, yeah, you mentioned also um, playing it specifically like, once and in within one night like this is a one one shot basically yeah how how is that like in in your design process is it yeah i guess how does that that affect how you approach it or how you build it because i with that specifically in mind that people shouldn't break this up over multiple sessions yeah totally um i think i've I've played a lot of games that are like that uh i'm trying trying to like there's a lot of one shot like um what is it? A quiet yeah. year is kind of like that. It's like meant to be played in one mm-hmm. session. Fall of Magic mm-hmm. is kind of like that, where, you know, you kind of just tell this one story and then you're done. And yeah. so I think I like games that are kind of contained in that way, where it's like it's supposed to deliver this specific story and this specific experience. 
And like, that's what, that's what you'll get. It's kind of like a, like going to a play or watching a movie type of thing. You're just like, oh, cool. This is the story that we're experiencing tonight. Yeah. So I think as far as like design elements, it's just kind of making that structure. Like, um, I find that if you, cause a cozy den is kind of like this too. It's just like a one shot type game. You, you have like a beginning, middle and end to the game. <laughs> and, and then it's like mm-hmm. kind of like a contained story. So, you know, this has, uh, two acts. It's a, a two act story. Yeah. Um, and something is wrong here. Or oh, I'm sorry. A cozy den has, you know, a structure for like, okay, you have these scenes and then at the end you have an epilogue and, you know, winter is over. So I, I think just mm-hmm. like structuring that and just saying, seeing what the framework of the story is kind of helps create that one night experience. And you've worked on like a couple different types of games. Do you feel like that, like it's easier to kind of make things contained or, or to leave them open-ended, you know, like to, to have a game that could just go on? Oh yeah. Um, it is, that's a good question. (laughs) I don't think it's easier. Uh, I think it's just different. Yeah, yeah, because okay. I've worked on. I'm actually currently working on a cyberpunk game that is powered by the apocalypse and uh, is meant for multi-session play, like probably at least ten sessions. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So that's just kind of like more than you write. You just write extra stuff, you know, because you have to write in support for as the game goes on, these things happen. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's still even in long-term games like this structure of helping, helping the players, um, with the timeline of the game. Um, and so it's just a matter of like mm-hmm. what that timeline looks like. That's a really good point. I had not thought about it that way. <laughs> um, of course I also haven't written a game, so that's <laughs> useful to know. Yeah, 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 totally. Well, cause yeah, like, a you know, in a long-term game, you have to worry about, um, you know, potentially, how are you spending your experience if your game has experience, right? Like when, once characters oh, get yeah. to this point, what, what with experience, what do they do? If these bad guys have been vanquished, mm-hmm. do new bad guys pop up or like, when do you end the game? <laughs> Stuff like that, yeah. that I think, yeah. Yeah. It's just like in a longer term game. So, so it's, it's all the same stuff, just written differently. Cool. Oh, neat. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think those are like most of the things I was interested uh, to find out some more about. But um, do you want to talk about the Kickstarter at all? Since that is going on oh, right now. <laughs> sure. I'd love to. <laughs> I, to. To be honest, there isn't very isn't too much to talk about in the Kickstarter. It's it's very straightforward. I, I worked really hard on it, actually, <laughs> to make it. Um, yeah. To make it as kind of straightforward and accessible as possible to people. I wanted people to be able to see these are the rewards. This is just helping to kind of make this one thing. I don't have any stretch goals. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of mostly just to support the making and printing of the game. And it's it's doing really well. I actually can't believe how well it's doing. (laughs) Like, uh, it's it's very successful. Like, I, I think... I kept mentioning the numbers that they got pretty high. Uh, like I think it's over 15 K right now. And, um, uh, someone's like, but really the more impressive thing is that you have over 800 people who want to buy your game. And I was like, yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is like my first big Kickstarter, I guess. So it felt, it felt, it feels really good, but also really intimidating. Like, Oh God, 800 people are going to, 
burrito thing I made. But um, but it's also awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's also awesome because like uh, obviously they're they're resonating with the same things that I am, uh, and that's kind of cool yeah. that to know kind of like uh, that many people support an idea that's important and meaningful to me. So that is super cool. Yeah. But the, yeah, the Kickstarter, uh, the game, if, if it's printed, it's $20. And like, if you want to buy the cards and, um, uh, there's also PDFs on there and there is a PDF, a, a little bit cheaper PDF too, for people experiencing poverty. And that's pretty much it. Those are, those are your options. And I'm, d- I'm just still designing the cards. I got the prototype the other day. They look pretty awesome. I'm pretty excited about them. <laughs> uh, and my artist, yeah, yeah, my artist Alyssa um, is a local friend here in Columbus and she is also obsessed with David Lynch. And so <laughs> she, she made all the art. It's all like charcoal um, drawings. Oh yeah. yeah. So it's very spooky. Yeah. I loved them. Uh, she's a great artist. So very cool kind of like traditional media, uh, for like a little card game. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, and it goes till October 4th. Well, I should probably say that. <laughs> okay, cool. This will definitely come out before October yeah. 4th and we'll have links and, and congrats. That's very cool. I think it speaks to the fact that there isn't a game that does this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, people want to experience this. That's really cool. Yeah, I agree. And I think that can be hit or miss, right? Cause like I, the things I design are things I want to see that mo- mostly don't exist. Like, like mm-hmm. I'm making it cause I can't play it in another game. That's, that's basically why I'm designing games. <laughs> yeah. um, but sometimes people are like, I don't want, that's a weird experience. I don't want that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and this is this is very yeah. weird. Yeah. Like I I this is weird. Like it's not it is kind of an, a strange game that's full of emotions. It is. And like personal horror. Yeah. You know. Um so I had I had Ooh. no idea how it would do and I'm really happy it's doing well. Yeah. I know we like brushed on it a little bit, but I I just wanted to to point out specifically the the emotional element, the fact that you are encouraging bleed with this yeah. game. Like I, I just want to like highlight that specifically and call it what it is. <laughs> this this game has a lot of bleed. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I think it's a fun thing to play with. Like, uh, you know, the the bleed of feelings between you know a character and the player because you are the pilot of your character, right? And there's no matter what mm-hmm. game you're playing, there is inevitably some crossover there. Like, you are taking your character sure. places you want to go. <laughs> Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it's cool to kind of like call that out and point to it and be like, well, what if you wanted to do that on purpose? (laughs) And there are some, there are some games that do this, some experimental games. Um, so definitely not the, the pioneer, but I, I think that games can teach you a lot. They've taught me a lot about my emotional landscape, about my, uh, social interactions between people. I run better meetings because I'm a gamer and a GM, you know what I mean? So -hmm. I think those tools are useful. And I think exploring emotions in games as a tool on purpose is, is like useful. And people who've played it so far have actually said that it, it really stuck with them and helped them think about things that they hadn't thought about in quite that way that had to do with like their personal feelings. So yay. Success. (laughs) Yeah. 
Oh, that's really cool. What, oh, what, what good feedback? Like that's got to feel really good. It was, yeah, it was intense to a certain degree. I knew it was going to do that, but I didn't think it would do it that well. (laughs) And yeah, yeah. I think Anna Kreider was like, this Kira, this is devastatingly effective, brilliant design. And I'm like, well, calm down, Anna. It's good, but isn't that good? She's like, no, it's really good. I liked it a lot. I could hear her saying that. That's so yeah, good. It was it was just really nice and and cool cool to hear when you know your design objective is successful. Like like yeah. point, if I'm pointing towards a thing and I'm trying to um, design for an experience, which I think is is a difficult thing to do, and it works. It sure. works the first time out the gate. It's just like oh my god, wow, super cool. Yeah. What what witchcraft? It is. It is witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else that you would like us to know about the game or the experience? I think we covered a lot, to be honest. Um, yeah. So I can't think of any specific things to touch on. I mean, okay. it's an emotional, atmospheric game, and it's intended to kind of create create those feelings of surrealism and uncanny, uncanny feels. Um, so that's, that's kind of mm-hmm. the focus, and that's what it does. Excellent. That's perfect. Cool. So where can we find you or your work online? Yeah, I am uh, on Twitter talking about games a lot at Kira Nanzi. It's K-I-R-A-N-A-N-S-I. And I have a Patreon, which I think you can find just by putting in my name, Kira McGran, into Google and, and finding it on Patreon. And that through that, I make, um, you know, it helps support my game design process. And also mm-hmm. uh, YouTube videos that I vlog kind of about that process, usually two times a week. All right. And we will, I will gather those links for folks and have them in the notes. And thank you. This is, this is cool and weird and terrifying and exciting. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. Huge thanks again to Kira for being on and sharing such a personal process with us. So please go check out the Kickstarter before it's over. That's all for this week, heroes. Follow Modifier on Twitter at Modifier Podcast, or send us questions, comments, and suggestions through email at modifierpodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is part of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts, including shows like this one. Character Creation Cast is a discussion podcast where Amelia Antrim and Ryan Bolter create characters in multiple RPGs with prominent guests from the game's community. Each month, Character Creation Cast examines the character generation process in-depth for a different game with new guests each series. They always take the time to reflect on the game, its design, and what guests have to say about it. Think of it as sitting in on a great Session Zero every week. To find out more about this and other shows on the network, visit OneShotPodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at catgreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then. <laughs>